Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to the third episode of The Big Deal where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and right around the world. And welcome to uh, AFL legend Warren Treadray who joins me. Treaders, we've got a very special guest this week. Yeah, certainly have, Dion. Uh, Marty Pask is his name. He's the managing director and head of AFL at Capital Sports Group, one of the AFL's leading and most experienced player agents and head of agencies. Well, in his stable, he's got some of the big names of the competition. Dion Pressier, Bombers skipper Dyson Heppel, Caleb Daniel, and young stars like Zach Butters, Isaac Quainor, and my son's favourite, Jack Ginevan. As we welcome him, uh, Marty, thanks for your time. Ah, great guys! Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to be on it, and uh, congratulations on the on the new podcast. Now I'll tell you what, it'll be congratulations to you. This is probably arguably your busiest time. You've seen Dyson Heppel re-sign as the Bombers, who you look after, even though he's hit dirty thirty, and clubs don't normally like that. Um, can you take us through how that deal was done, and more importantly, how crazy this period of time is for you? Yeah, well, the firstly, the the period itself, um, I think it's a it's a body of work. So I guess a lot of people um, will say, oh, you get to this time of the year, and oh, geez, you must be busy. But I think a lot of the work um, is done leading into it. So uh, your, your club visits uh, start well and truly in January, February each year. You've probably had three or four different conversations or face to face meetings with with every club by the time the the actual trade period comes around. So you've got a great understanding of what their list needs are, what your list uh, in terms of your agency um, and players that might be on the move, um, might be looking for more opportunity or whatever that may be. So um, in terms of the actual, um, the busy time of year, um, it can be when, when the deadline comes closer and closer that you still haven't had the deal done yet, but your body of work should be done. Um, and then obviously the Dyson Heppel one, yeah, that, that was uh, an interesting year. Um, I think just uh, the whole um, process in terms of Essendon this year was, um, I think any club where you, where you lose the big three, um, being the president, the, the CEO and, and the coach um, in, a, in a short space of time um, provides a lot of complexities um, that come with it. So obviously Dyson being the, the captain of the footy club, a lot of that rested on his shoulders this year. Performances weren't what they wanted as a footy club. So I think all of that sort of intertwined and um, and just trying to get clarity on exactly where he sat, um, what the future held, uh, and then what was required for him um, going forward too. You mentioned the magical 30. Uh, and what what that means it means the closest the the end's closer than than the start unfortunately for for these guys as you well know and that then means well what does life after football mean how can I use football as an avenue be it media coaching uh, whatever it may be uh, so all those conversations were had throughout the course of the year um, on that the dirty thirty you know the clubs only want to offer short term deals but is what happened obviously recently with the cats getting up with an old and increpid list and anyone who saw their Mad Monday celebrations shows that they took that to personal and they've delivered. Does that change the dynamic as we head forward and clubs are being more mature with that 30-year-old discussion? Oh, it's a good point. I think it more... I think the, the real conversation is more around 
where that particular club's list is at. Um, so a lot of people would hear rebuild, a lot of people would be retooling, a lot of people would be challenging, whatever the, the course may be. And I think just depending on what age uh, you fall into that criteria will probably determine whether or not um, you get a one year or two year or, or whatever. So I would suspect if a club's right at the top and challenging, um, they're more uh, inclined to probably extend players um, in that experience window versus probably clubs that are down the other end that, that want draft picks and young players that uh, the magic um, phrase or term we hear a lot is we've got to get a core group of players to 60, 70 games. So does an older player stop or prevent opportunity for that young player versus can you add some experience to help those guys nurse through so it's a real balance but i think it's more determined upon where your club sees their list and how um, much of an appetite they have for for trying to win it and where that window then lies what sort of role do you have in that, Marty? Because, uh, I mean, we've seen, you know, with players over 30, um, we've seen players like Mitch Robinson in recent uh, days, um, you know, be told that, you know, perhaps he's, uh, he's, he's come to the end at Brisbane. How much do you guys um, have conversations with your clients in terms of, you know, I think uh, you're done, uh, there's no, no one else out there for you, or do you leave that uh, dirty work to the clubs? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Look, I mean, the best example that comes to mind I can think of immediately in my experience was was uh, Brian Lake, uh, who was at the Western Bulldogs. He played 190-odd games for the Western Bulldogs, and they just had uh, a bit of a list change, and they were looking to retool or rebuild or whatever the terminology that they wanted to use at that particular time. He was coming up to 31 years of age. Uh, there might have been a positional change from memory from fullback to full forward and whether or not um, he was going to see his career out um, at the Western Bulldogs and you know whether or not it might be one year to go on his contract and that'd be it, or hey, do you think there's a, another club out there challenging and they might look at a 31-year-old completely differently? Um, as history would tell us, there was Hawthorne that saw him completely differently, um, could use him um, and valued him as a 31-year-old and he got 50 games out of himself as an early 30-year-old and three premierships. It was a fantastic story and probably the best case study that I could possibly give you to, to answer your question. But it doesn't always happen that way. So I think, I think it again goes around what clubs are looking to value at particular points um, of the year and in terms of where their season or where they're projecting their club um, into the future. So um, wherever that may lie is important. Now, Junior Rioli is one of the players who everyone is talking about, wants to leave West Coast and get to Port Adelaide. Uh, do you have any updates on that? And how do you expect that transaction to take place? Because Port are obviously willing participants. They want him. And uh, Trevor Nisbet, the CEO of West Coast, was pretty full on to say that uh, they want compensation. They didn't want to lose him. Yeah, look, and there's no doubt they'll get compensated for him. So um, I think the dialogue's been fantastic. One of our senior agents in here, John Meeson, has done a fantastic job in um, speaking quite regularly with West Coast. I, I know they've met several times and the dialogue's been fantastic from, from that aspect. So certainly nothing comes as a shock. I think that open transparency's been there. So uh, there's obviously a, 
an opportunity for for Junior to to be able to get back to South Australia, where there's some situations with his with his family and, and loved ones that obviously he needs to get closer to. He only just recently lost his father, so there's a hell of a lot more here than than just the the football aspect um, to to what is trying to happen and, and eventuate through here. But as I said, I, I think you know for, certainly from the way that uh, Junior's handled it and John Meeson and and the way that everything's been. Um, has, has transpired, uh, certainly has been fantastic and we fully expect him to be a, a Port Adelaide player. Now, uh, on that one, a lot of, obviously any club's going to be filthy when a player leaves they want to keep, but you know, he was in a unique situation with a, a drug ban. Does that make any difference or is this just business and, and fans need to get their head around it? Look, I think just putting that, um, the situation aside in terms of any player like and what the history may be, um, I think just in general and the overarching comment around player movement, I think that when you have things like free agency, when you have trade periods, uh, you've got mid-season drafts now, there are so many more mechanisms for player movement that the appetite for player movement is obviously there. And every club has a list manager, every club meets with agents, every club meets with other clubs. Um, it's not like it was 20 years ago or 25 years ago or 30 years ago um, so when we've got all these mechanisms and we've got all these people employed to look at lists and move players and manage salary caps you're going to create player movement and you're going to create the opportunity for players to move and I think for us to sit here as an industry and just think it's all about dollars and cents um, and that's the only reason players move um, is a very short-sighted view and it's not something that us as an industry um, can support because players move for a variety of reasons, any single one. I mean, I gave you the Brian Lake example. He signed for less money to go to Hawthorne for a chance to, to realise a boyhood dream to win a premiership. Then you've got other players who may want to move because they want to be closer to the family. Then you've got other players that, hey, they're not getting picked and they want to be picked and they want to be playing league football. So they want the, opportun- they want the opportunity. So there's so many different mechanisms and there's so many different reasons players move. And I think that the salary just seems to be the one that everyone just sort of thinks that supersedes all other reasons. And that certainly isn't the case. Now, it might be in some but it's certainly not in all. Um, also, too, some agents in particular go very public this time of year, almost agitating, trying to get a player out of contract. That seems a bit barbaric from a fan's perspective, but reality is that goes both ways. And you you know any uh, better than anyone with Ryan Burton, who's re-signed at the Hawks, wanted to stay at the Hawks, and then was effectively kicked out the door for Chad Wingard a few years ago. 100%, and that's the thing. So it, it's got to be both ways. And I think that there's just too much of this whole player power and I know this I mean I'd love a I'd love a dollar every time I hear player power this this trade period um, and what what we'll hear in the in the coming weeks because it just couldn't be any further from the from the from the case like I mean you're seeing players now sign long-term deals and then um, clubs are, are then looking to try and move that money and now you you, you probably saw the news only recently around salary dumps being attributed to draft picks now and players. So it's making it easier now for, for clubs to move salaries and, and different things like that. So we're going to see deals now being signed in good faith um, and, and players and clubs probably not seeing the end of them um, like we used to. So 
it, it's a real interesting time, I think, in our game with, with player movement. And um, it may have started, you know, a few years ago with, with players players moving that have got a few years to, to go on their contracts and it might happen once or twice but now we're seeing it a hell of a lot more it's going to happen a lot more um, and I think that it's just got to be the flexibility within the list and, and a lot of the time it's not the player driving it too so that's where really fluent honest mature conversations need to be had and I think both player and agent um, as along with the clubs need to be clearly on the same page but then there's got to be an exercise uh, to educate the fan and to have the fan of their clubs understand that um, losing a player whilst it might feel at that time as, as a really big deal and it's the worst thing that they can hear but a lot of the time some of these moves that get made can actually put their clubs in better positions and you've got to understand and and sometimes you've just got to have faith and trust in the people that are making these decisions because there's a lot of good list managers and there's a lot of good people involved in football that spend 365 days of the year looking at this space um, that is now a professional um, a professional model and a lot of modeling that gets done that to make these calls. So I think that we've got to have a little bit more understanding of it's a, it, it is a business and clubs need to make the most they can out of the situation while they can. And then certainly the player does to a certain degree, but not just financially, but for an opportunity as well. So it's a really interesting balance at the moment. And, and look, I don't know how you win the, the I guess, the war on um, you know, educating people, but I think it's probably the more and more fans and people get used to player movement and salaries and now this salary dumping that's a new term that's getting around um, then I think the appetite and the appreciation for what I think people are trying to do people then might understand it a little bit more. I guess it's tough to sell to fans isn't it Marty when you know they see you know one of their star players from say one of the lower clubs go to a higher club which I guess in the, essentially is, is working against the spirit of, of the, the, the draft competition that the AFL set up. I mean, how, how tough is it to, 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 to sell that model to, to fans? And, and, and are, you, are you comfortable with where um, the free agency model is at at the moment? Or do you think it should be opened up even further? Personally, I, I think I was one of the first people to ever say this at the time, and I might have got shot down for it, but a few people may have since agreed with me, is the whole compensation pick... I've never liked it. Um, I, I've never, I've never agreed with it um, because it's not free agency, um, and it also stops free agency. So, to answer your question in a moment, but the free agency model essentially is to create a free market. Now, if I trade one free, if, or if rather I lose one free agent, I then should be able to bring another free agent in because I've got cap space, I've got a list spot, I can do something. I don't do that because I might get a good draft pick back in compensation. So I just sit there doing nothing. So that rules out one club out of the free agency market straight away. All of a sudden, two or three clubs do it. They want to wait for good compo compensation. So you kind of, I, I, I've never liked that model. I think if you're going to have it, you've got to have it properly, um, first and foremost. But to answer to your point, I think back um, certainly 20 years ago, you rebuilt through the draft and you had this ability that you'd have your time at the top and then 
once you had your time at the top and you guys hit that 30 mark or whatever and you had a lot of retirements, you'd go through the draft, you'd have a cycle, three, four, five, six years, then you get your chance again as a footy club to, to shoot your way up. Now what you're seeing is with the free agency model is clubs aren't bottoming out. So you can look at the Geelongs, even potentially what Richmond might be doing, um, what Hawthorne tried to do um, in the last few years of Alistair Clarkson's coaching. What you're actually trying to do is you're actually trying to skip that step. So, and free agency works. Now they're not all free agents, but they're pre-agents or they might be coming out of contract in a year and they will be free agents so we can trade for them now. And they might necessarily value the draft picks that they have. So for example, if I'm a club that is a big club, gets 100,000 at the MCG for a home and away game, and I can attract players, draft picks to me might not be that important anymore because I can always get a free agent in the door and I can always attract them. So I might get to ninth or 10th on the ladder, but then I can shoot back up to third or fourth reasonably quickly. Whereas some clubs might have to bottom out to 18 and then build through the draft and have a chance to get to fourth or fifth, then get a free agent. So it's an interesting model now where this is the kind of area where list managing is, is really becoming an art. And it's probably the first time in our game that we're really seeing it and how you can do it. So the clubs that can build good environments, that draft well, but then can also attract free agents are gonna have the better chance to continually stay at the top um, of the ladder versus the ones that potentially you know, might have instability, might have had three or four coaches in a few years, haven't been able to attract free agents, um, and are waiting for their draftees to, to, to spike and, and get up the ladder. So it's a really interesting model. Um, I think that the best way to do it, and I think Brisbane's done this really, really well over the last sort of five or six years, is they've built a really good environment. And then what they've actually been able to do is attract players. So a lot of that too can be your, can be your real foundation is build the environment where people want to stay, and then you could probably attract free agents. Um, and then obviously the big clubs that are obviously drive the, the, the sponsors and the, and the fans and everything are always going to be popular. Um, and clubs, you know, they're always going to be in conversations to get good players. Now we talk about the industry as a whole. Um, do we need to grow up and be in a situation where if a player's going to leave, they put their hand up earlier? Like we saw Patrick Dangerfield, what, seven, eight years ago now, um, wait till the season's end because... He honestly said, and he went on record to say, the industry is not mature enough. Whereas we look at the NRL, sometimes it gets out 12 months before their contract's out that they're leaving. I know that doesn't look good, but do you think we'll get to a stage by the mid-season break, instead of everyone speculating, a player goes, I'm going to exercise free agency, and then it's over and done with as a... um, away from all the speculation? Yeah, I'd like to, absolutely. Because I think, again, like... If a player leaves or, or, or is thinking of leaving, it doesn't then all, the correlation isn't then that he's gonna go out there and try less. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's where we need to give some kudos and some credit to the player and respect his morals and his values and understand that he's going to be somebody that's, that's still gonna go out and try his hardest because he's got pride in his performance and he cares about the situation. now. Whether he's playing for another club in six or 12 months' time is irrelevant. Um, he's going to want to perform and perform well to help that club. So I'd love to see that situation. And I think we got a little bit of a taste maybe with Amon this year and the way that Port Adelaide seemed to handle that, and particularly at the end of the season where you know you saw the vision in the rooms, he was hugging players and it looked like everyone knew and respected it and 
was was what well done and um, it was really mature and his performances this year were outstanding and I think the way the port handled it was outstanding and I think that was a really good lesson um, and a really good um, taste of potentially what it can be between club and player um, and I'd like to think that and you'd, you'd like to hope that one day we, we could get to that point um, where everyone where everyone knows because at the end of the day like you've alluded to everyone knows the longer it goes, there's 95% chance that player's leaving anyway. So it's kind of the unspoken um, word or or view that that player's leaving. So I'd like to think that we could and we'd have agents that are mature that handle it well. We've got players that are, we've got coaches that are, um, and that we've got um, you know players that, that, that can do it as well. But I think this, in summary, I think it's a short-sighted view if we think that the player is going to try less um, if we know that he's leaving the football club or not. I think that's that's wrong. This whole checkout, old-school thinking—it's just—it's just certainly not the case. What about a mid-season trade period, uh, Marty? Uh, what are your thoughts on that in terms of either combining it with or instead of the mid-season draft? Uh, the mid-season draft's certainly one of my uh, bugbears. I hate it because I I hate to see what it does to uh, the state league size that lose players. But uh, I understand there's a place for it in the AFL. It's how we negotiate it and how we change it. But uh, would a mid-season trade period be better? I, I think there's there's an appetite for both. I, I understand your frustration. I also share it with the second-tier competitions. I, I think that because I also think there's a ripple effect because, you know, a short little one is what happens if you're a, uh, an up-and-coming development coach or something that's coaching a Sandful team that that needs results to try and get himself into the AFL system and he's had his full forward and his ruckman ripped out of him and his results go backwards. Does he get a job at the end of the year? So there's all these little things that people probably don't even care about or, or want to consider, um, which I, I find sad um, and, and think that something needs to be done there. So there's an element of that I agree with you on. Um, I, I like the, the draft aspect of it because I think any aspect or any mechanism you can try and get someone to fulfill their dream, I'd like that to happen. But the trade, I like it um, because we talk about the maturity of players moving and maybe make getting there, telling clubs early that they're leaving and they might go to somewhere else next year. Um, but that happens the other way where clubs tell players at round four or five look it's going to be hard for you to play because now we we're going to rebuild and you're going to be you're going to be playing in the vfl so they'd be great for a mechanism if you're a a ruckman that's you know 29 30 uh, another guy loses their ruck another sorry another club loses their ruckman and you're a guy that's getting warehoused in the vfl um and you get to the mid-season draft period and that player can be can be picked up via a trade to help a club to then keep playing league footy. Um, now that player can always say no, so it's not like you're forced to leave. Um, but if there's an opportunity or a mechanism for that player to, to keep playing um, and assist another club, I, I've I've always been a big fan of that. I think that that's fantastic. So salary caps are going north. Um, we, we heard Treaders told us um, a week or so ago about uh, Isaac Rankin's contract, uh, Marty and. The fact that it's going to be uh, front-loaded uh, at Adelaide, he could be getting something like one and a half million dollars next year. Um, 
But uh, how close do you think we are to to maybe uh, the AFL's first two million dollar player? Uh, and of course, I, I guess we're talking, you know, that's over an average term of the contract. Uh, what the first million dollar player was probably about more than a decade or so ago now. Is two million dollars uh, close? Do you think? Yeah, well, oh, it's funny because in the nineties you probably thought a million was a lot, but um, now you you forecast you know nearly thirty years on and. Um, all 30 years on rather and you, you've got um, you got some of those salaries I mean you know people are now um, moving the needle over 1.2 1.3 um, so you're thinking through natural list management and growth and opportunity and and marketability and everything like that I, I wouldn't think it's beyond the realms um, that we'll, we'll see it and so but you've got to you've got to soften the conversation where are we looking at two million uh a year versus you know like warren alluded to a guy actually getting front-ended and getting a big wad up front to help a cap and then you know it's smoothed out and they play you know so averaged out a guy getting two million i think we're a fair way out um from from that that prospect um certainly in terms of the cap because i mean that's a hell of a lot of cap that you're taking up on one player and i just you know, we're very different to other sports. You look at, you know, the NFL where you can centre it around a, a quarterback. You're looking at the NBA where you can probably have three guys as you, and certainly at least one or two as your centrepieces on the, the lion's share of the cap. I mean, we just have a game where, you know, the, the demand physically and the ability to, you know, play 22 guys is just so important. So I think it would be... It would be a risk if you're absolutely putting all your eggs into one person um, to be able to to be able to share the lion's load of, of everything. But um, hey, look, it'll be an interesting watch. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I think we'll get a lot of high-end guys um, in the game that will command it. Uh, there's no doubt, but I think that's like in any era. Capital Sports prides itself on lifelong relationships. Gone are the days where a manager did your deal and you never spoke to him until you needed your new deal. You guys talk about you know a lifetime relationship. What does that look like? Because let's face it, with the, the numbers, what they're saying, an average of 300 plus per player over a 10-year career, there's no excuses not to come out so well set up. 100%, and I think that was the model we really looked at. So, you know, obviously... Um, about two and a half years ago, we went through a merge. So obviously, myself having a business and and um, my other um, director and Peter Lenton having his own business and and Peter's backgrounds all around finance and um, financial support. And obviously, you're right. A lot of what I did and my expertise was around contracts, player movements, and the, and the draft. So we sort of met and and discussed how you know we could bring both our um, I guess our our one woods together and discuss how we can combine it. So what we actually want to offer is, is, a, is a full-scale service in the sense that we're not just doing your contract, um, we're in your life. So we want to be involved in you know everything from whether you're buying a house, your first house. A lot of these guys are 2021 buying their first property. We want to hold your hand through that process. We want to help you through that process. We want to involve your parents. We want to help you. Um, you need a tax return done every year, so we can do that under, under our roof. And to your point, we're always in their lives because, yeah, footy doesn't last forever, but you're always going to need your tax done and you're always going to need your, your financial servicing and, and financial advice done. So these guys will be, and we're seeing it now, these guys at 35, 36 are coming in every 
every year to do their tax returns, their financial health checks, all that sort of thing. So all those things are, are crucial to us and, and really important because you're right. And I mean, I remember my own experience. I mean, I was on the bottom end of a list for five years or so and um, it was probably worthless having an agent, to be perfectly honest, because um, I wasn't marketable and I wasn't a very good football player. So I was just sort of sitting at the bottom end and through those experiences, you, you learn um, a lot about what you, what, you, what you feel you need and what the industry needs. Um, and through those experiences, you can then help your player and, and understand that, hey, this is something that I've, we value and, and we can help you with. And I think management now cannot just be about your contract um, because I think we're duty bound as agents to make sure that the rest of your life is well looked after and, and you can you can make sure that you make something out of your life and use football as a head start. Uh, you're dominating now, Marty, but uh, plenty of competition as well. And uh, we're seeing uh, the likes of maybe Buddy and Jacinta Franklin entering the uh, the player management, talent management market. Uh, where do you see all that going? <laughs> well, look, it's interesting. So... Um, uh, fantastic. I think having um, more and more female agents in the game is, is first and foremost is fantastic. I think that's a great endorsement um, and an opportunity to be able to do that. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I think we only had our agents conference on uh, last week, uh, grand final week. So you can imagine 120 egos in one room together. It was absolutely <laughs> fantastic. There was no fisticuffs. Um, so I, I did go to Colin Young and ask him to show me some MA moves. He didn't want to do it, but um, it was, it was, it, it, look, it is a good industry. And I think the thing that I get most disappointed about um, being an agent is we just don't have a great reputation. And I think that that's probably the thing that hurts the most when you, um, when you're when you're in this, and it's your livelihood, and you and you put food on the table doing it, and you you put your own reputation to it. I think for whatever reason, and and look, there's plenty of examples, and people have their different experiences, but you can only speak on yourself, and you can only speak on your own values, and and what you and how you uphold yourself to those, and. You know, I've always tried to do things the right way and I've always tried to do it honestly. And I think the, the hard thing for us is I think agents, we just we just get that view that we're in it for one reason and, and one reason only, and that, that's obviously for the money. What do you think about the go-home factor, particularly AFL? But if we look at other sports like the young Opals or a young Andrew Bogut's got to leave the country at 16 years of age, do we think we're a bit precious? Yeah, I... So the go-home fact is an interesting one, mate, because I, you look at it and you go, like, I look at it the other way. I break it down even further. I look at list spots. And so if you're a young guy coming out of Victoria where, you know, let's call it 60, 70, 80% in some years of the talent pool comes out of, you can always find a list spot to get home to Victoria. And that that's really the, the crux of it right there. So... One year it might be North Melbourne with a list spot, the next year it might be Richmond, the next year it might be Collingwood. You're always going to have the ability every year. So these northern clubs are always fighting with a list spot available every single year. Whereas, you know, you want to get home to Adelaide, you've got two clubs. Um, those those list spots not might be not available. Same with Perth. So the issue for us as an industry is that 10 teams are in Victoria and there's 
call it 38 list spots, 37 list spots at, at every single club. Um, and you're always going to have the ability to get back to Victoria um, because there's always going to be a list spot available for you to do it. So that's that's the real issue. So you're right in terms of club, you know, athletes leaving home and, you know, some are doing college from the age of 18, 19 um, and then going up. Some are going over to Europe to play soccer at 16. Um, so it's not always necessarily the go-home factor. I think it's more potentially the opportunity. Marty, fantastic to talk to you. Before we let you go, we're just going to uh, throw a couple of uh, rapid-fire questions at you. You can you can answer in one or two words if you want or uh, just expand on it a little bit. Um, who's the toughest negotiator you've ever dealt with? Uh, I reckon Adrian Dodora would like me to say him. Um, <laughs> that's, that's all ego, though. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, so, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but I reckon, no, honestly, Neil Baum, he was, he was fantastic, so it's actually funny, I laugh about it now, but I was a, talk about being a young cocky agent, I remember being a young cocky agent doing what I thought was the right thing for my client, only to be told that that's not how we behave, Marty, um, and he, and he, and he, he <laughs> what did you do? Well, I thought, so Geelong were really good at having a model that yeah. obviously, and clearly they do to this day, and I laugh about it with him now, but I call it, you know, I just needed a little bit more of a lick of the ice cream just for a particular player that I thought, look, come on, he, he's going all right. And it was probably really early days for me, it was 14, 15 <laughs> years ago, and I thought oh, well, I'll just test this and see how far I got. Well. Within about an hour, I think he'd driven up the highway over the Westgate Bridge, seen me in my office, and basically gave me a pretty good lesson on negotiations and how to behave, and and Geelong's list management and cap. And I thought this guy's pretty direct and good. I don't I don't mind this, but I held firm and I, I got the extra lick, which was important. But he certainly <laughs> told me what he thought of it. Um, and uh, but that that was that was a that was a really good story. But uh, Barmy's a, a fantastic human being, and yeah, I laugh about it now. Who's the next big thing, and why? Oh, that's a really really in our stable or just generally yep. in yours. In our um, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Well, I like Ben Hobbs um, at at Essendon. I think that. Um, He's got a great ability um, at such a young man to be a leader. Um, values of the contest and values hard work. So I'll go really early, having only played 17 games, but I think he's got a real, real good, good football future ahead of him that I think Essendon fans um, will enjoy watching his career. And I wouldn't be surprised if he captained that club one day. There you go. Wow. That is a big call. Um, Marty, we asked you about your toughest negotiator. Uh, what about the best club that uh, you, you, you know, you look forward to deal with them? They're, they're, they're professional. It always gets done. What's the, who's the best club to deal with? Mate, there's actually, there's actually a few. So I'd give a few a wrap. I'd, I like dealing with Richmond. Um, I, I really enjoy those conversations and dealings with, with Blair Hartley um, at Richmond. That's always been, been fantastic there. Um, I like dealing with Kinnear Beaton um, at the Sydney Swans, Stephen Wells at Geelong. They're, they're really, really good operators. Craig Cameron at the Gold Coast um, goes about it really, really well. And um, Jason Cripps at Port Adelaide. I like him because he's direct and he just he's to the point and there's no fluffing around and we just get things done. 
Um, so, you know, they, they'd probably be the ones over a long period of time that, um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed doing it. And and it's just anyone getting that list management space that it's it's just so great when you can advance the conversation to the point and it's just about getting whatever needs to be done, done, and it's respectful, and one or the other party, because days of the gone where we're trying to outdo one another, or we're trying to blindside, or we're trying to you know do anything other than what we feel is the best thing for to get the best outcome. And I think a lot of those guys mentioned understand it swings and roundabouts as well. So it's not always about winning right now and getting absolutely the best possible deal right now and trying to hurt the other person. It's about look at over look over the deal in time and look over what we're actually trying to achieve. And I think the ones that get that and understand that, you usually get a really good outcome um, really well. And you're, you're, you're prepared to help them. I think that's the, that's the other key thing too. All right, who's the worst club? The worst club. Worst club. Oh. And if you don't want to name him, give us a colour. Oh. And if no, it's Hawthorne, I suggest don't say brown. <laughs> well, all I'll say is there's a couple that like to do it a very interesting way. Oh, brown paper bag style. Mm. No, definitely not that. Oh, definitely boom. not that. No, no, go on, no, no, none of, none of the good thing is. No, everyone does everything above board. There's no doubt about that. It's just, you know, some some like to involve the um, the points on picks. That's my new pet hate um, yep. in in trading now. How we do the whole I've got to get something back, and we're and you know we're we're holding up things on pick seventy one and sixty four, and you know we're equating value to to points when I think the the thing that gets me with that sort of thing is that points might be very well and good but what happens if the draft's not that strong in this particular year and you're getting a full forward in the door that can kick you 60 goals yeah Um, or the deal falls over because of it you're correct and it's like if that guy comes in and kicks me 60 goals and he's 25 26 years of age uh, he he could be worth 500,000 points in the draft index um, because good luck trying to find that guy every draft. So it's 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 to me. I think that that's the only. And I get why we have it with academies. Before I get my head blown off and and all that sort of thing, I understand it. But I don't think it's an adequate way to determine value every single draft with every single player and uh, a way to promote fairness. It just doesn't work that way because. Positionally, some guys can just advance your list so, so far and so quickly that, uh, yeah, we can get caught up too much in that sort of thing. So that gives you a little bit of an understanding of, of I guess, the clubs to deal with, the ones that want to worry about too much of that stuff or kind of get worried doing trades with because it can hold it up and it can make things drag out far too long. Well, Marty, thanks for uh, joining us on The Big Deal. It's been fantastic to talk to you and I uh, hope you have a very um, a stress-free and successful uh, trade period uh, coming up. Beautiful. Thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate uh, coming on. Marty Pass from Capital Sports Group there, uh, our guest on The Big Deal. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. 
Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens, and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.